Hi everyone, Philip Sutka here. I have a small favor to ask. I recently updated the Dark River website and with it launched a new mailing list for the podcast. An email list is any author or podcaster's superpower. It's the most direct way that creators such as myself can connect with their audience. I have an exciting announcement coming soon and would like to share it with you first. And I'm going to need your help in launching this new development. So if you would be so kind... Go to darkriver.ca and access the hidden episode at the top of the homepage to sign up for the mailing list. Not only will you be the first to know about updates, but you'll also have access to a behind-the-scenes look at how I created each of the stories. If you try it for a bit and decide that it's not for you, you can easily unsubscribe at the bottom of any of the emails. Believe me, I will not take offense. I will just be so thankful that you were willing to give it a shot in the first place. So head over to darkriver.ca, access the hidden episode, and join the ghosts in uncovering the town's secrets before anyone else. And now, on with today's story. Thank you for joining me in this strange small town in northern Ontario. My name is Philip Psutka. If this is your first time visiting, I'll be your guide. If you're a familiar face, it's good to have you back. The town embraces newcomers and old friends alike, but be warned, it doesn't easily let you go. So dim the lamps, settle in. Welcome to Dark River. They were all dead. The bodies lined the room, entombed in white sheets. The bright morning sun shone through the large windows at the end, splattering shadows across the wall like a mining accident. Yet these deaths had all occurred above ground. Everything was fully operational and intact. There had been no malfunctions, no structural catastrophes. Everything was neat. Everything was as it should be. Yet they were still dead, and there was nothing she could have done to save them. She stood at the end of the room. She had never seen such orderly carnage. The white walls and sheets were nearly blinding in the sunlight, but she knew, behind the pristine veil, the speckled bodies lay, still contaminated, ulcers protruding off some of them, chests and backs flecked with red, the newly dead corpses hot to the touch. Against her will, her feet took her forward. It was like walking down the aisle at church, surrounded by mummies. Every hair on her stood to attention as she passed the bodies, dead still and white under the sheets. Each were on beds with wheels, making it easier for the staff to whisk them away to another part of the building in case of an emergency. Now that the emergency had come, they were all gathered together once again. She continued on. She was nearly halfway in when she heard creaking behind her 
And just as she was about to turn to see what it was, her stomach dropped out from under her as she recognized the sound of the wheels on each of the beds pivoting towards her. Then they began to roll. Everything in front of her was as it was, unmoving, but she knew, without a shadow of doubt, that the beds she had already passed were following her. And she saw the shadows on the walls, the elongated, distorted frames rolling their way along behind her, bearing their infected cargo like a deadly wedding train. She stopped walking, her breath catching in her chest in terror. Then, one by one, the shadow figure sat up, and she saw their arms stretch out towards her own shape on the wall, just before she felt hot hands grab her from behind and pull her into the writhing mass of bodies. Screaming at the top of her lungs, she could barely hear herself over the cacophony of moans. A sharp inhale of breath banished the light, and she gasped, arms waving madly, trying to orient herself. She was in her bed. The room, the light, the bodies, all were gone. Her room was dark, and she could hear a barred owl somewhere off in the distance. Time to get up. She was on the night shift. Many of the other nurses worked during the day, but after a brief scare with the disease herself, her entire schedule had flipped through her recovery, and it was too exhausting to even think about maintaining the long hours and losing precious sleep to get back to rising with the sun. Besides, the dark suited her. It felt comforting, as if the shroud of night dampened disease and instilled peace over the hospital. Joan had come to Dark River only two years before, after graduating from the Toronto General Hospital's School of Nursing program, and she was one of only 28 who managed to get through to the end. It was a rigorous program and highly exclusive. Out of over 600 that applied each year, only 50 were selected. It had taken her three tries to get in. The application was thorough and strict. On top of having exceptional grades and a high school diploma, she had to demonstrate that she had good moral character by having the reverend from her church write a recommendation letter for her. After all, nursing was considered to be the godliest vocation a woman could possibly endeavor to practice. And the program itself was no easy ride, either. Twelve hours a day, six days a week, she tended to patients under the strict and watchful eye of two graduate nurses, who had to oversee all 50 students. Often, there were up to 400 patients at a time, so much of her training was more akin to an apprenticeship where she worked non-stop and prayed that she didn't make too many mistakes. These were people's lives, after all. Somehow, she made it through, and was offered a position at the new Dark River Hospital up north. 
She hadn't really considered where she might like to settle after she graduated, as she was just focused on surviving long enough to graduate. While she knew that she didn't want to stay in Toronto, she never imagined that she would end up this far north. Yet, within the walls of the hospital, there wasn't that much of a difference. There were still the beds, the sheets, the patients, the suffering, the dying. But there was also life. She just had to help others cling to it. And this was no easy task at the moment. A great wave of typhoid fever was sweeping the north, and Dark River hadn't escaped it. The hospital was packed, and the town's local doctors found themselves making non-stop house calls, sometimes to neighboring towns when it hit in one location particularly hard. Before the hospital, doctors' wives would have to tend to anyone who arrived at their doorstep in need of care when the doctor was out, and they weren't trained the same way Joan was. Now that the hospital was here, things were better. Until they weren't. Joan threw off the covers and let her feet dangle off the bed for a moment before connecting with the cold wooden floors. It was much chillier here than it had been in Toronto. Up here, there were still patches of snow on the ground, even though it was May. Back where she came from, she had been doffing heavy sweatshirts in favor of lighter garments, but Dark River was an entirely different place. Things were colder here. Pulling off her nightgown, she quickly dressed in her blue striped dress, pulling her long white apron and bib over top. She secured her white cap without bothering to look in the mirror, for she had done it so many times that it was second nature. And, after all, the pristine nature of this attire was next to God, but even God had trouble seeing in the dark. Typhoid, on the other hand, did not, and it would not wait. She pulled the door of her bedroom closed behind her before proceeding to her rounds. There were very few other nurses on throughout the night, as there were very few other nurses available in Dark River, and the hospital was short-staffed. But Joan didn't mind, for it was actually rewarding having the freedom to tend to patients without the watchful eye of the graduate nurses from Toronto looking over her shoulder at every move. She was happy to have come into her own. Well, as happy as one could be, given the circumstances. Even though the patient's suffering did not abate at night, there was something about the darkness that dampened all sounds, like a great quilt thrown over a screaming child. This also suited her, for she had always been more of an introvert, and most at ease when things around her were calm. Making her way through the corridors, she checked on a few patients that she knew well, but they were all asleep. Thank the Lord for that. They needed rest and reprieve. She knew as well as any of them what it was like to be in the grips of typhoid and to have to struggle your way out of it. It wasn't done alone, and it didn't come easy. 
One of the other nurses passed her in the hallway, and Joan nodded to her. The woman continued on without nodding back. This was often the way it was. Common courtesies were put aside when there was work to be done. Evidently, one of her patients needed her attention, and she didn't have any to spare for Joan. This had been hard to accept at first, but Joan had quickly learned to brush it off, for nothing she could do would change it. The scary truth is that it could also have something to do with the fever. After Joan recovered, no one would look at her. She became a pariah among her fellow staff. Try as she might, she had a hard time accepting this. After all, if she had kicked the disease, didn't that mean that she was less likely to get it again and pass it on to others? But that was not how others saw it, and the common belief was that she had been tainted and was a threat to those around her. However, they needed all the help that they could get, so they didn't dare let her go. She wouldn't have gone easily even if they'd tried, for she intended to stay in this hospital for the foreseeable future. As long as there were others to help, Joan wasn't going anywhere. She continued down the hallway and stopped just before she turned the corner. With all those thoughts rushing through her head, she had completely lost track of where she was headed and only now realized where she was. Taking a deep breath, she turned the corner. Although there was no reason for it before stepping into the room, she had felt a wave of dread hit her and... Looking in on the scene before her, she understood that she had been right to feel that way. It was the room from her dream. The beds lined the walls, and the moon shone its light through the large window at the far end, although that wasn't what sent a chill down her spine. There was a body in each of the beds, and the sheets were pulled up over the faces of every one of them. How could this have happened? She didn't recall waking up at any point throughout the day, and she surely would have with the amount of commotion that should have been raging outside her door as the other staff fought madly to save these lives. But she had slept deep and well with no disturbances. She had even woken up feeling more refreshed than ever before. Evidently, the final traces of the fever had departed her body. It seemed, however, that many others weren't so lucky. She stood, entranced in the sheer magnitude of the sight before her and what this could mean for Dark River. Would this be the end of the booming town? Would the rest of them vanish in the clutches of the disease? Would this hospital and the other buildings around it be left in a desolate wasteland, slowly decaying along with the corpses inside? A black shape flashed across the room, and she recoiled before realizing that it was the shadow of the owl swooping by outside the window. Deadly silent, they were. Another life snuffed out, most likely. She was suddenly gripped with an insatiable need to peel back the sheets and see the faces of those who had passed. It was likely that she knew most, if not all, of them. 
As she reached out to grab the sheet of the bed nearest her, however, her godly nature won over. That would be disrespectful of the dead. Let them lie. Still, she couldn't help herself from wanting to connect with them somehow. So she let her hand graze over the feet at the end of the bed. She continued down the room, her fingers playing across the white wasteland before her. When she reached the window, she looked out. The moon had frosted the trees in a bluish-white light, making the shadows pitch black. The shapes of the branches stretched out along the ground, as if to welcome the dead souls out the window and into their arms. It was both beautiful and sinister. She turned to pay her respects to the shapes along the other side of the room. After looking out into the moonlight, her eyes took a moment to adjust, and when they did, her stomach dropped out from under her, and she froze in horror. The bodies of those she had just passed were now sitting up, as if someone had played a cruel joke on her and propped them up before sneaking back out of the room. But she knew that wasn't the case, for although each body was still fully covered in a sheet, she could clearly make out the shape of the heads all turned to face her. They sat completely motionless, watching her. She didn't dare move a muscle. Pressure was building in her chest. She inhaled to relieve it. The sharp intake of breath echoed off the walls of the room, and she clamped her hands over her mouth and closed her eyes tightly. When she opened them, the bodies were back to the way they had been. None of them were sitting up. None of them were looking at her. Was it possible she had imagined it? Well, anything was possible through long hours and dark nights. Her finger brushed something soft, and she recoiled before realizing that she had backed up into one of the other beds and had touched a foot. Thankfully, this body, like the others, was still lying motionless beneath the sheet. It was time to go. There would be other patients to tend to, live ones, and she was eager to leave this room behind. She crossed to the doorway through the unbroken moonlight, and it must have been her mind playing tricks on her again, but she could have sworn that she had heard a creak behind her. Once again, though, all was silent. After a few moments, she didn't hear anything further, so she... There it was again. She whipped around, her back hitting the doorframe, her breath heaving in her chest. She didn't want to believe what she was seeing, couldn't believe it, but it was there nonetheless, sitting up in bed at the far end of the room, its black silhouette cutting into the moonlight. They stared at one another. She could see slight movement, a wavering of some kind from the thing propped up in the bed. Although she couldn't really make out any features in the face, she could see the outline of the mouth gaping at her. Then it croaked, sucking in air as if it was breathing its last breath in the middle of a scorching desert. 
her knees buckled under her, and she slid to the floor, moaning in terror. The thing responded with another gasp and shuffled awkwardly up against the bed frame, its bones clacking against the metal and echoing off the walls of the room. They stared at one another again, neither daring to move a muscle. She was sure that, at any moment, the thing would scuttle off the bed and come at her on all fours like a spider, ready to devour her in its gaping maw. There was no denying it. She wasn't making it out of this room alive, for whatever it was wouldn't release her from its intense focus. Her mind flashed back to her nightmare and the writhing, disease-ridden bodies hungry to consume her. This was obviously one of them. And now she became aware of the other beds around her. From her view on the floor, it was difficult to see if any of the bodies were moving on the beds closest to her, but she could see the few nearest to the window bathed in the white light. Mercifully, they remained dead for the time being. Then the thing stretched out its arm towards the window. She followed it and saw nothing, just the moon. It let out another one of its wretched gasps, and the arm extended further. It looked like it was trying to reach... what? Then she remembered the table in the back corner of the room. A jug of clean water sat on it. Clean water was difficult to come by, yet necessary to fight the disease, which ran rampant without proper sanitation. Her eyes snapped wide. Had it tried to speak? Now it turned its gaze back to her. Her eyes had adjusted, and she could see some of its features through the moonlight. Its eyes were wide and locked on her. It looked desperate. Remember, nursing is the most Christ-like of professions. The voice of the head nurse from school rang through her mind, and although it was the last thing she wanted to do, she knew what she must. Slowly, she got to her feet. The thing watched her every move, its arm still extended towards the side table. On unsteady legs, she began the slow trek across the room towards the thing. It watched her like a hawk. She could feel it take in every movement as if it was waiting for her to misstep. She didn't want to think about what would happen if she did. As she passed its bed, she tried not to make eye contact with it, even though she could sense that it wanted her to. Somehow, without looking at it, she found the side table and her shaking hand nearly knocked over the jug before grasping the handle. Her other hand found a glass. Her eyes were locked on the floor in front of her while the thing filled her peripheral vision. She managed to get most of the water into the glass without spilling too much of it and returned the jug to the side table. She didn't know how she was going to find the courage to do what came next. And yet her feet were showing her the way, taking her towards the bed.
her right hand extended of its own accord, offering the glass. Thank you for listening thus far. In a moment, we'll return to the Moonlit Room. But first, I'd like to let you know that we have new original spooky stories coming every three weeks. So follow the show on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoy your time in this haunting town, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And check out our website, darkriver.ca. But now, let's face the thing in the bed with Joan. Her right hand extended of its own accord, offering the glass. The thing didn't move. Her arm was frozen in midair for what seemed like an eternity, and her heart felt as if it would burst in her chest. She didn't dare breathe, let alone blink. Then, slowly, it extended its hand towards hers. Without touching her fingers, it took the water from her and drank deeply before letting the glass fall to the side of the bed, where it shattered on the floor, causing Joan to jump. It looked at her again with its wide eyes and said two words. Thank you. She didn't know what to do. There was no denying it. It had spoken as clear as day. Your... Of course, was all that she could get out before inching past the bed once again, the broken glass crunching beneath her shoes. When she was halfway back across the room, she turned towards the door and forced herself not to run. She was nearly out the door when she heard the thing speak again. It said, I've never seen one before. You're the first. Then everything went black. The man sat there, looking off towards where she had vanished. He could hear the solitary night nurse making her way quickly down the corridor towards the room. No doubt she had heard the glass shattering. He took a deep breath, the moonlight remained unbroken, as it had the entire time she had been with him. He let it out. Somehow, miraculously, he was alive. And he hoped with all his heart that he would see her again. This has been a tale from Dark River, written and hosted by me, Philip Sutka. I also produce the show, as well as compose the music for it. The podcast artwork was done by Chris Basutka. For more history of small-town life in northern Ontario in the early 20th century, be sure to follow our Instagram, at Dark River Podcast. Though based on actual history... This story is a work of fiction. Any resemblance to persons living, dead, or other 
is entirely coincidental and unintentional. Thank you for stopping by, and see you soon.